Uh, I wanted to mention one thing before we get started this morning uh, with the message, and that is that uh, I got an email from uh, Tom Vale, and some of you know him. He's the one that uh, led us down the Grand Canyon as a church group about a year ago and uh, taught us a lot about creation science. Uh, He wanted to let us know that uh, tonight, tomorrow night, and next Sunday, and the following Tuesday, I believe, there will be a National Geographic uh, special on their channel, the National Geographic channel, on the search for Noah's Ark. So you might want to take advantage of that. Uh, I know I've seen some things on this before, and this is a more updated uh, what's going on currently, and I think it will be very interesting. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious God and Father, I thank you for this church, for the love we've shared over so many years. I thank you for the the blessings and the good things that we have experienced together from your hand. I thank you, Father, that every Sunday people go outside the church and, and just enjoy each other for an hour or more. I thank you, Father, for people who have come forth to serve in Awana and Sunday school. We're so blessed with people who are committed. And I thank you for the privilege of, of being their pastor, being able to lead this church for these years. But I know, as we all know, that you call us to a position of responsibility, an opportunity of service, and we're able to contribute for a time And eventually we relinquish that to someone else because it's, after all, your ministry, and we just have a part in it. And I thank you that you've granted me a part here in the ministry of Coast Bible Church. Thank you for Ridge Ryan and those original charter members that started this church back in 1967 for their vision and their heart for your word coming out of churches that had failed to preach your word. And I thank you, Lord, that that heritage has continued to this day, and I trust it will continue in the days to come. I thank you for Neil and for the quality and the good the good training, the way you've worked in his life, even as a young man, to prepare him for this moment. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon him as he goes through a difficult week of examination as well as the transition next week. And Father, we just commit this time to you and thank you that you're the one that we look up to. And your Son, Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Oh, Father, may he be fixed in our hearts and in our minds. And may we try to emulate him in being people full of grace and truth. In his name we pray. Amen. As you know, this is my last Sunday at Coast Bible Church as the pastor. Next Sunday we will be transitioning in which the pastoral baton will be passed from me to Neil. Obviously, it's a time filled with a lot of emotion for for me and for Carolyn and I'm sure for Amy and Kevin and for many of you as well. I've often thought about what I would say when this day arrived. In fact, this summer, I, I, I remember thinking about it several times. Now, some might think, hey, hey, Arch, this is the opportunity to unload. I mean... The opportunity to say what you really think. Blow these people out the door. Give these sheep a beating they'll never forget. And I know some have done that. And that's sad. Because if the truth be known, 
Carolyn and I believe we have been very blessed and that you have been very good to us and very loving. And you know something? You've also been good to each other and loving to each other. And that has been a joy to pastor a church where people loved each other. Of course, there have been those times when we've had some heartache and disappointment. We've had numbers of people that have gone to other places in the country because of the housing market being so difficult to deal with. We've had people that haven't always been happy with the way things were done here and have left. But overall, there's always been that spirit of love. And like I prayed, I don't ever remember a day when we weren't out there spending an hour after church because I feel like it's the duty of the pastor, Neil, to always lock up the church, you know. But uh, to spend time with people. And there were always people that wanted to hang around because they loved each other. They just looked forward to that time after church. They, they want me to get done quick, and I'd wonder why. You're just going to go out there and talk for an hour. Well, we'd rather talk than listen to you. <laughs> they didn't say that. I'm kidding. There have been those times of heartache and disappointment, but they pale compared to the years of joy and meaningful ministry we have been privileged to share together with you. Furthermore, when I was hurt or angry and tempted to get something off my chest in the pulpit, the Lord usually reminded me that I also have hurt people and I've also mucked things up. And for that reason, he humbled me, and I realized I better not say what I think. Furthermore, when it's all said and done, I have no unfinished business with Coast Bible Church, other than to continue to love and support this church family in any way I can in the months and years to come. We're stepping down with 20 years of encouraging memories. However, I would like to leave you this morning and with you parents who've come here for this baby dedication today, and I know a number of your family members have joined you. I'd like to leave with you this morning a call to action that is more important than anything else I could ever ask you to do as a congregation or as a mother or father in your home. In the Bible, God commands his people to do many things. People don't like the Bible because it's got so many commandments, as they say, do's and don'ts. And it does. There's some 365 negative commandments, and there's some 250 positive commandments. But thank God he cared enough about us to let us know how to live in a way that would not only be pleasing to him, that would bring joy to us. Some of these commandments were given to govern the lives of God's people during certain periods of time. Other commandments were re-emphasized and highlighted in every age of God's dealing with people on this earth. But there is one commandment that supersedes every commandment in every age. One thing that matters more to God than anything else he has ever said to direct human life on this earth. What commandment could possibly 
be more important than all the other commandments put together. What one commandment commands or controls even the Ten Commandments, not to mention all the other 300 and 500 and some commandments. I invite you today to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 12, which I trust is displayed behind me on the screen. One day while Jesus was ministering, a Pharisee who was a scribe and a teacher of the commandments of the Old Testament law observed Jesus give a remarkable answer to the religious liberals of his day. These were the the Sadducees who didn't believe much of anything other than that there was no resurrection. They believed things that were against Scripture. But this Pharisee, who was not a Sadducee, who was steeped in Scripture, stepped forward to test Jesus himself. What Jesus said was so significant that it penetrated the hardened heart of a Pharisee. Now, the passage that I'm about to read in Mark is also uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 22, but we're going to look at Mark's account this morning, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all our heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared ask him a question. Friends, the point that Jesus was making here is that if you take all the commandments of the Bible, none is greater than these two because all the other commandments hang on these two. These two commandments provide the unifying principle for applying all the other commandments to life because that was where all the debate was. What concerns our Lord most, what matters to Him most, what he wants us to be focused upon more than anything else, what he wants us to set our hearts upon, is loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. This is what matters most to our Lord. But is it what matters most to you and I? That's a question I would like for each one of us to seriously ask ourselves this morning. Is this the chief focus of our life and of everything we're striving to do? Is it the chief focus of what mom and dad are trying to accomplish in their homes? Is it the chief focus 
of what we're trying to accomplish in the church. Is our love for God driving away, driving us away from the quagmire of self-absorbed, self-serving, self-centered spirituality, which seems to have swallowed up so many, so many people today who are part of the Christian faith? Let me be even more direct. What is more important to us today? Loving God or our happiness? Loving God or our success? Loving God or our marriage? Loving God or our family? Loving God or our physical health? Loving God or our personal ministry in the church? Loving God or feeling good about our life as a Christian? God does not want us to be absorbed with our own happiness or even with our own family, which is a wholesome opportunity God has placed before us as parents. But many turn it into an obsession in which they almost worship family more than they worship God. And that's abhorrent to the Lord. He wants us above all else to love Him. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God. But how are we to do that? Jesus continues, literally, out of all your heart, out of all your soul, out of all your mind, and out of all your strength. But what does that mean, to love God out of all of our heart and mind and soul and strength? To more fully understand what this means, we need to go back briefly here to the passage Jesus was actually quoting in the Old Testament. Remember, he wrote the Old Testament too, because he's God. And he was quoting something that he'd said before. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And I would suggest to every parent here today... I see plaques when I go into homes and Christian homes, they'll have plaques on the wall, various verses and things, which I think are wonderful. But here's one that sometimes is forgotten, and it's one that we ought to, as clearly brought out in the passage itself, we ought to hang it between the frontlets of our eyes. Let's read it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There was no commandment that was more important to the Jewish people and to Jewish parents than this commandment. The Jewish people knew this to be the most crucial commandment of all. And so they made this commandment and the words surrounding it a vital part of their worship and their home life and their personal life, their personal walk with God. And what they did is they took this commandment, these words... And they put them into a thing, 
a saying called the Shema, which is more or less just a quotation of these words. And the word Shema comes from the first word in chapter 6, verse 4 of Deuteronomy, where it says, Hear, O Israel. The word for hear is the word Shema. That's where that comes from. The Shema was not a prayer, but a confession of faith. It was recited daily as part of the religious experience of the faithful Jews, of faithful Jews prior to New Testament times, and it continues to be, by the way, practiced and recited today among faithful Jews as well. But what do these words mean? In verses 4 and 5, we read literally, You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Love. The Hebrew word for love here has less to do with emotion and more to do with action. It is a broad term for love that can refer to a broad range of emotions or attitudes which always culminate in a determination to act on behalf of the one to whom we love or that we love. It's very close to the Greek word that you've all heard, agape, or in the verb form, agapao, which is what Jesus, the word Jesus used, or I should say that Mark used when he was quoting what Jesus said to that scribe in Mark 12. The Lord continues, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Well, I reversed those. I shouldn't have. The with there is a preposition in Hebrew that means in, and it refers, I-N, it refers, the fundamental idea is one of, of location. It defines the location where love was to come from. Love is action. It's action. It's not words necessarily, unless those are part of the action. It's action. But where does it originate from? Jesus is saying it originates beginning in the heart, to the soul, and with all our strength. The source out of which love was to grow and flourish was these qualities. In the New Testament, Mark, when he translated what Jesus had said to the Pharisee, used the preposition ek, or out of, and that's why I quoted it, out of all our heart, out of all of our soul, out of all of our strength. <clears throat> And that captures the essence and the richness of what was God was saying in the Hebrew as well. The word all adds the sense of totality. That there's no part of our heart, no part of our soul, no part of our strength that is not to be given to the wholehearted pursuit of loving God. But then we come to that first word, heart. That's where it all begins. What's it mean? The word heart translates an Old Testament word and a New Testament equivalent word, meaning heart in the sense of the center of a person. We might call it the inner person. The me inside. The immaterial me. What I am apart from this body. In our language, heart is usually used of emotions. You know, someone, he just doesn't have much heart. That's referring to emotions. But the words used in the Old Testament and the New Testament which we translate heart, usually speak more of something beyond emotions. The word for heart in the Bible includes what we commonly call the intellect. 
or the mind or attitudes, as well as the will. A quick glance at all the passages in the Bible where this word heart appears reveals the breadth of this meaning. For instance, in the Bible we read that out of the heart comes grief, fear, anger, envy, joy, love, peace, as well as understanding, wisdom, listening, learning, as well as determination, stubbornness, faith, devotion, arrogance, boasting, and so on. In Deuteronomy 6 and Mark 12, it seems that the word heart is not being used specifically to refer to the mind, the emotions, or to the will. It's being used more generally of the core of our being, the inner person. Therefore, to love the Lord with all our heart means to love Him from within, to love Him out of the core of our being, the innermost person, the immaterial me. We're, if we're going to love God as He wants us to love Him, this means that we cannot rely upon habit. We can't rely upon religious ritual. We can't rely upon loyalty to go through the motions of our faith as Christians. For example, going to church needs to be more than a habit. For some people, it's a habit. And I'm not saying it's not a good habit. But God would want it to be more than that. He would want it to be something that we really want to do because we love Him. On the other hand, this is not to say that the, the outer person which finds expression through our body is not to be involved in loving God. I want you to notice the next phrase, with all our soul or out of all of our soul. Soul translates a Hebrew or Greek word referring to breath, living. It speaks of a living, breathing being. Most often it refers to human life. It gathers together all a man is when he's alive. It's very, very similar to our term, human being. It includes the body and it includes the inner person. It includes the core of my being or the immaterial part of the being, my being, the part you can't dissect in a laboratory or in a, in a, in a, in a, a room with surgeons. But it also includes that body that they're working on. And so what he's saying here is, is that the body needs to be a part of the action. In our language, we use the word soul more like the word heart. It's like, okay, people get real confused about this. There's heart, soul, and spirit. And in many people's minds, these are all one term. It's sort of like, do I call it soul? Well, maybe if it's not, God's not involved, it's soul. If, it, if, it's, if God's involved, it's spirit and and then heart maybe gets them all together, but I'm not sure just what it is. That's the way people think. But in the Scripture, it seems that there's a very clear a defined meaning here. When it uses a word like soul or spirit or heart, the Word of God intends for us to understand clearly what's being spoken of here. In Deuteronomy, the word soul adds not only the dimension of the inner person, it adds the outer person as well. So what he's saying is that when you start out of the heart, that is the core of our being, the immaterial me, 
then it proceeds to include the body as well as the immaterial me. That's the word soul. That's what's being brought out here. The Bible does not teach the philosophical idea that we need to give attention to our soul, but we can ignore the body. Now, we probably don't think quite like that, but we act like that sometimes, as if the body is sort of unimportant as long as the heart is right. Or as long as we're working on the heart part of our life, we can do what we want with our body. To love God out of all of our soul means that we are to love Him out of our body, the material part of us, as well as out of the core of our being or the immaterial part of us. That's what God is saying here. David writes in Psalm 42, As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul, my life, my human life, the immaterial part of it and the material part of it, for you, O God. When the word soul was added, it was adding the outer person to the inner person. How does this translate out? I remember numbers of people have come to our church over the years. and Occasionally you'll get the person who will say, I love coming to church and I'm sort of trying to time it to when the music is over. Because I just want to come for the word. And I'll say to them, well, you know, God really wants us to sing. That's what he's commanded us to do. And they'll say, well, I sing in my heart. You see, that's not loving God the way he wants to be loved. Because he not only wants us to be alive with joy in our heart, he wants us to really get into the music and sing it out with our lips and our voice and our facial expressions and our body. Many of you may wonder when you see the wailing wall over in Israel, they're doing all this. Because in the Old Testament, the emphasis is praising the Lord with all your body. And so they feel like they need to move every bone in their body while they're praying to God at the Wailing Wall, the West Wall of the temple complex that was buried. But the point is well taken. We need to be engaged in our body as much as we are in our heart, in our inner being, our core being. Lastly, Jesus, as well as the Old Testament, adds the idea out of our strength. And that translates a Hebrew adverb meaning literally very or exceedingly. In a way, it's used in a, it's a difficult word to translate because it just doesn't fit, but it means like muchness. Out of all of our muchness or all of, all of our exceedingness, that doesn't make much sense, but it's adding this superlative thrust to the whole thing. And it's saying in the New Testament, as it translates this word, that, that there's to be, the New Testament uses the word strength, which is also transposed over to the Old Testament, but the Old Testament word just means exceedingness or muchness, but in the New Testament, it's strength and it's speaking of, of exertion or forcefulness. We're to put a lot of effort forth in loving God. And that complements the Hebrew idea and it brings out the richness that was intended. In other words, when we love God, it begins within the heart. It's to pass through and affect the whole body. And it's to do it with intensity, with exertion, with forcefulness, so that the action that comes forth is action that is born out of our love for our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
What kind of actions flow forth from this loving God out of all one's heart, out of all of one's soul, out of all of one's strength? We immediately think of worship. And that's very important. And the Scriptures teach that worship is to, to spring forth from us. The Psalms emphasize over and over again the importance of worshiping a God that we love. But there's more than just worship at, at stake here. We're talking about keeping His commandments. Walking in His ways. Serving Him wholeheartedly. Not listening to the words of a false prophet. Holding fast to the Lord. Standing our ground. Joyful. Hating evil. Keeping His word. Not loving the world, but loving one another. These are all commanded in, of us. And with that commandment, the, they are predicated at the beginning, because you love your God, do these things. Keep His commandments. Walk in His ways. Do not love the world. Love each other. Don't listen to the words of a false prophet. Why? Because it's not good for you? No, because the most important reason is because you love the Lord your God. That's the actions that are to to come forth from loving the Lord if you study the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you say, but didn't Jesus add something else? Yeah, he did. Jesus said something in Mark that does not seem to appear in the Old Testament passage. And I wonder why. Deuteronomy 6.5, I just quoted. Now let me read Mark. You shall love the Lord your God. This is what Jesus is quoted as saying. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now keep in mind... Jesus wrote the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, so he knew it well. He wrote it. But at this point, he adds the concept of out of your mind, or with, not quite was it, with all or out of your mind in the good sense of that word, out of all your mind. If he was quoting the Old Testament passage, which he seems to be doing, then why did he insert something in the Old Testament passage that does not seem that that passage doesn't include. What's going on here? Was Jesus saying the Old Testament passage was insufficient in what it wrote down, what was recorded by Moses? The word Jesus chose, which we translated mind, is the word dianoia. The word for in Greek for mind is noia. But Jesus adds a, a, a prefix to it, dia which intensifies the word. It literally means a mind through. It's an intense form of the word for mind referring to intense thought. Thinking coupled to reflection and meditation. No problem with the word, but if Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, where does he get this word from and why does he place it third in the list and not last if it's something that needed to be added? He places it third before strength, before this intense exertion, exceeding its muchness. The word for heart, as we saw, includes the mind and oftentimes refers to the mind exclusively. But if this was an equivalent term for heart, if Jesus is using mind in place of heart, then why does he use heart too? 
He could have said, out of your mind at the beginning. But he put it third. Why? Either he should have mentioned mind first and and not mentioned heart at all, or else the other way around. Otherwise, it's redundant, isn't it? Lord, what's going on here? Turn back to Deuteronomy 6. And keep in mind that verse 5, which is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, was part of the often recited portion of Scripture we called, that is called the Shema, which I mentioned to you a moment ago. And notice also that Jesus did not begin with quoting verse 5. He began with verse 4. And how does it begin? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord. Then he continues, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then the Shema continues with these words. And listen carefully to them. Verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. They shall be in your heart. That refers to the inner person. The inner me. But notice what aspect of the heart or inner me is being called into action here by the Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy. He says, these words, that's a reference to God's words, His commandments in the Old Testament Torah, our first five books of the Bible, specifically if you were Jew living at the time that Deuteronomy was written. Now when words are upon the heart, when words are upon the core of our being, the innermost part of us, What is it we are called upon to do? Think. Think. When we teach these words to our children and we talk about them constantly in our life and when we write them on the doorpost of our home and everywhere we can, what aspect of the inner me is primarily involved? The mind. The mind. In my opinion, friends, when Jesus uses the Greek term dianoia, referring to intense thought and reflection, I believe he is summarizing the process or action proceeding from love spelled out in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9. In other words, there's that phrase in verse 5, but then there's verses 6 to 9. And to summarize 6 to 9, Jesus inserts after With all your heart, with all your soul, he adds with all your mind, because that expresses verses 6 to 9. That was common practice, by the way, in that day when you were quoting someone. You could summarize something with a word. Now notice how this plays out. You have heart with all your heart, which includes the core of our being, with all your soul, which includes... Not only the core of our being, but also the physical part of our being. With all your mind, which focuses upon thinking. And then it concludes with the idea of with strength, with enormous exertion, intense effort. And the outcome are actions that speak to God of our love for Him. Now notice... 
also that Jesus placed the phrase out of all your mind in the third position because the final term, exceedingness or muchness or forcefulness, intensifies all that had gone before it. Now let's get to the application. When Jesus puts the focus on mind, he is speaking of intense thought and reflection. Of what? Of the Word of God. He is speaking about meditation. He's speaking about teaching. Teaching your children. Teaching the children in this church. Teaching one another. He's talking about talking and about writing the commandments and the directions He has laid down for us in Scripture that He's given us out of His grace and His love. Friends, there's a principle here that I think is something we dare not miss, and that's why I've taken the time to go through this elaborate explanation, which I know is detailed. But loving God out of all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength begins to translate into action at the point that the mind, the mind begins to intensely think about and maul over the Word of God. In other words, we're not going anywhere in our love for God until our mind is engaged. And we begin to pour over His Word like a love letter written to us. Remember in the summer of 1966, I wrote my wife nearly every day. My daughter got into those letters and read them, you know. When she was younger, she snuck around in the attic and did a little thing. She says, Dad, wow, that's something else. You know, you're such a cold-hearted guy now, but man, you're okay. <laughs> that wasn't the way it worked. But those letters, when I wrote to her and she wrote to me, we poured over those letters and we thought about every word. We dissected the sentences. We thought about what was being said and what it meant. Friends, that's what we should be with the Word of God. It needs to be right at the the heart of our thinking. And the problem today in our churches is that we don't want to think. It's the most difficult thing in the world. I'd rather go out and run two miles or 20 miles, if I had the energy, than to think. It's so much more difficult. But nevertheless, it yields the fruit of a life that is pleasing to God. A life ready to live for God because we understand what He really wants from us. Friends, that just isn't happening enough. Even in a good Bible church like ours. As a new believer, I read, but do I think? I remember when I first became a Christian, I determined I was going to read through the Bible in a year. And I read and I read and I read. But those were just words that were passing through my mind. They never took much hold because I didn't stop to say, what does this mean? Now, as a new Christian, I can be excused for that. But as it emphasizes in the book of Hebrews, there comes a point when we should no longer be dull of hearing. But we should be alive and excited and enraptured with the Word of God. I trust that's why we come to a church like Coast Bible Church, because we care enough about what God has said that we want it explained to us. Along the way, I've occasionally heard someone bemoan the fact that they do not love God enough and wondering how they might love Him more. And I really respect a person that says that because they've, they've sort of put their finger on the problem that most of us have. 
But having identified a problem, of course, is a key to solving it. But once, and once we're honest with ourselves, we can begin to address that problem practically. So how do we do it? Romans 5, 8, 5 says it well, but for those who live according to the flesh set their minds, their mind, their thinking processes on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their thinking process on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Mind the things of the Spirit. Begin thinking intensely and mauling over your mind the Word of God. How do you do that? Well, stop and think about what you're reading when you read your Bible. And you should read your Bible all the time. Take it with you. Take it out at lunchtime. Take it out at breakfast time. Take it out whenever you can and read it. And it's not important how much ground you cover, but that you understand what you've read. I told my kids when they were memorizing verses for a one, I said, it's wonderful to memorize verses, but it's more important that you memorize, but that you also understand what you're memorizing. And by the way, that'll help you to memorize it if you really understand it. But there are other things you can do. You can become involved in Bible studies. We have a, a number of things that are happening right now where people are taking the time to prepare something that will help us walk through the Scripture and understand what it means. Neil's teaches going to be teaching a melting pot for younger families. Dave Bennett and Ray Varela are are planning to teach a prime time Bible study that we'll be meeting on Sunday nights for those of us that aren't part of the younger families group. I'm teaching a men's study a week from this Tuesday. I'm teaching a women's study a week from this Monday in which we'll be looking at the life of Paul in the book of Acts. But the emphasis will be on intense thinking. People don't want to come to something like that unless they really want to think. But that's where God is going to be pleased when He sees us aggressively taking a hold of our lives and saying, I want to think. I want to know the Word of God. There is a place and a time and a need to really get into the Word of God. The greatest need today in the church, I don't believe, Or I do believe it can be only solved through our devotion to his word. When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 to the Pharisee, the scribe and the lawyer, he undoubtedly was underlining the truth that loving God involves the mind, which means intense thought or reflection, that was all too passed over by Jews, especially Pharisees, who loved to debate commandments and just how we should apply that commandment and should we make a person carry this burden or that burden. And Jesus was saying, you spend all your time on these obscure applications of the commandment when you should be pouring your mind or taking your mind and using it to pour over God's word. And the lawyer seemed to really get the point of what Jesus was saying. Notice what he says in response to Jesus. So the scribe said to Jesus, well said, teacher, for you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all our heart and with all our understanding. That's the word he used in place of Jesus' mind. And understanding means comprehension. He got the point of Jesus' use of mind, bringing the commandments and teachings of God together so that we would be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, the thing this Pharisee was doing was exactly what Jesus was emphasizing. 
intensely thinking and reflecting on the Word of God. It was thinking that was bringing this Pharisee near to the kingdom of God. Why? Because in bringing these things together as a Pharisee, he was near to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, the one who would save him if he only believed in Jesus. Jesus made it clear that if those steeped in the commandments of God in the Old Testament sought God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength, they would end up receiving him as their Messiah and Savior. The good news is that Jesus loves each and every one of us here. And if you're here today without him, you sense this alienation from God. The Word of God can bring you to that point where you say, Jesus, yes, He's offering me eternal life if only I believe. Loving God, our Father. Loving our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Loving God, the Holy Spirit. Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength leads to some very definite and sometimes difficult changes in our life. Loving God as He wants to be loved will involve radical transformation in the way we think and live. And particularly if we're going to think, it's going to take work. But is it important? Is it important that we love God and that we put this as the chief priority in our life and in our church and in our home? The Bible makes very clear that there is great value in loving God. Both the Old and New Testament testify to the benefits that will come to those who love God. I want you to listen to what it says. And this, these, what I'm about to share with you, are these words are prefaced by if you love the Lord your God. Here's what it says. Loving God, love Him that you may live and multiply in the land. Love Him that you may experience God's blessing. Love Him that you may experience God's grace and mercy. Love Him that you may experience God's deliverance out of your problems. Love Him that you may prosper. Love Him that you may be kept safe. Love Him that you may be corrected as a father corrects a child. That good may come out of tragedy and trouble. Love Him that you may experience all that He has prepared for those who love Him. And love Him that you might become close and intimate with Him. Friends, loving God. I don't know of anything I can say that's more important today and probably in our culture maybe not very appreciated. But nevertheless, in God's estimation, this is where the rubber meets the road as his children. I encourage you to take it to heart as I need to take it to heart as well. Our Father, I pray that you might encourage us now during this time of dedication of our children. I pray for these parents that are coming that they might be encouraged and realizing that they're dedicating themselves to raise their children in a way that will please you, and that begins with teaching them to love you. I ask this in Jesus' name for his sake.